This is the Power Aesthetic Podcast. I'm Paul Wagner, and today we are going to talk about magic, uh, esoteric practices, the occult, alchemy. It has been called a lot of things over a lot of years, but magic is something that has been practiced by all peoples um, in all places at all times. Every culture and civilization has had some kind of esoteric or spiritual practice, which can carry one all the way from something like a Native American rain dance to Christian prayer to uh, Vodun or any of the other worldwide practices where individuals are attempting to affect change in the world around them through hidden or secret methods. I wanted to talk about this today because I believe that some of these methods, especially uh, specific ones from various individuals in the past, have a great deal of application on our day-to-day and provide us with an excellent framework to create and affect changes in our own lives and that even the skeptic or someone who completely has no belief at all in the idea of magic in any way that it has been presented to him in the past can find some value in some of the ideas that have been presented by some of the more famous or notorious magicians of the past. Most specifically, I am going to be referring a great deal in this podcast to the ideas of the absolutely notorious magician, Aleister Crowley. And that's Crowley, not Crowley. Um, and, uh, and, and his practice that he called Thelema, uh, which is a Greek word for the will. Crowley has been much maligned, uh, whether inside or outside of the occult, so-called occult community, because mostly people know Crowley the man uh, and and the super sensationalized stories of his life, uh, which even from his own accounts was pretty sensational and and had a lot of wild shit in it. And, And most people, when they hear the name, they think uh, drug addicts, pervert, degenerate, and so on and so forth. But that's not all he was. And and much like, you know, Hunter S. Thompson, I think, uh, I heard in a book the other day that, uh, heard in a book, an audio book the other day, that Hunter S. Thompson is so tied in with his persona and what people know about him from, you know, Fear and Loathing and uh, Rum Diaries and just all, all his personal life stuff that his writing itself has become in some ways underrated because of the character. And I think the same could be said of, uh, of Crowley. And so I wanted to explore some of his ideas because I think that in the past, this term magic was used because there wasn't any other word that they had to use for what they were trying to get at. Uh, Crowley said that the object, you know, the point of, of Thelema, of magic, that's with a K, uh, not just with the C, but was was the um, what he called the method of science with the aim of religion. And like we talked about in the religion podcast that we did a few episodes ago, the aim of religion is just to answer the question, why? Uh, you know, who am I? Why am I? What am I? And then also... Crowley was interested in the idea of what can one change? How much can one's will affect the world around him and the world within him? So I wanted to explore a few of these ideas. 
Crowley identifies magic as, in his words, being the art or the science, sorry, the science and art of causing change to occur in conformity with the will. He believed that this included mundane acts because he thought the idea of magic in general was the change that one affects in the world uh, or, or in oneself, but just the change that occurs that one is, is, that one is able to make occur in conformity with their will. Uh, Crowley capitalized the will because his understanding of the will was what he called the true will. And the true will is what he believed to be some kind of reconciliation, essentially between the ideas of free will and destiny. So the, the will itself, the, the capital W, is not to be taken as desire. In other words, when Crowley famously said, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law, which is actually part of a larger quote, he was saying, do your will. In other words, find out the reason you exist for what and why you exist. And then to discharge that what and why is the entirety of the law for you. That should be your entire objective in this life is to do what it is that you are meant to do. He has another excellent quote where he says, it is theoretically possible to cause in any object any change of which that object is capable by nature. This is an idea that I think is very interesting when we talk about body mechanics, um, bodybuilding, martial arts, or any other, you know, uh, Wim Hof or, you know, any of this kind of stuff where you see people doing these incredible things and you think, man, how are they able to do this? And the easy answer is that they are able to do it because they are causing in any object, any change of which that object is capable by nature, but they're doing it by causing changes in the physicality and the physical form and all the rest of this, they're causing changes to occur in conformity with the will. They've discovered what it is they want to do and they are affecting that change through an extreme application of the will. The idea of, of Thelema for Crowley was to find out and make sure beyond any doubt who one is, what one is, and why one is. He goes on to say, then discover the proper course to carry it out. Following this, eliminate every element alien or hostile to success, especially developing these parts of oneself needed to control the aforesaid conditions. I think that this is probably something in line with everything that you are going to see. What really struck me is when I started rereading um, Psycho-Cybernetics, uh, which is a very famous book, but when you're reading Psycho-Cybernetics, it's, it's all based on this concept uh, that a guy came up with when he was designing missile systems, uh, self-guided missile systems during World War II. And he came up with this idea that, that humans and animals, as well as missiles, are, are basically structures or, or objects that are goal-oriented things that are essentially goal-seeking devices. And that whatever data is fed to them about their target, they are going to go toward that target. In other words, if we are constantly thinking about where we are actually trying to go, the missile is going to go in that direction because those are the, those are the target images that you're feeding it. 
if we're constantly worrying all the time about stuff, if we are constantly thinking negative thoughts or anxious thoughts and basically filling our targeting system with these negative thoughts, we are going to drift in that direction. Our, our homing system is going to go toward whatever it is that we are feeding it. And, and when we think about things, we are feeding those target images sort of into our homing system. And we're going to go that way, whether ultimately it is our true will um, or even our desire to go there or not. We are telling ourselves through constantly thinking about something that that's where we want to go. You know, you've heard the quotes before that the soul is colored um, or, or the soul has dyed the color of its thoughts. This is absolutely true. It, it is true that what we think about becomes who we are. If, if we are filling our mind up with pop culture trivia uh, internet pornography, shitty books, um, and, and general garbage, we are going to have a garbage die soul. <laughs> you know, we are going to be individuals who have filled our entire being up with garbage. And we are going to continue to do that because that is what we are thinking about. And because we're thinking about that, that's what we're feeding our targeting system. And so our targeting system is going to keep seeking those things out. Now, this is a perfect analogy for, for addiction of any kind is that if we're thinking about sex all the time, um, then that's where we're going to be trying to go all the time. And it's also a, a great uh, concept to show us why we need to not only control what we do, but we need to have a discipline and a control over what we think about. And the best way to have control over what we think about is to determine what we're going to feed into our brains, because what we feed into our brains is largely going to be what we are thinking about. So I love this idea, you know, and, and it's, it's worded here so eloquently. Discover the proper course and then carry it out. You know, following this, eliminate every element alien or hostile to success. And especially developing those parts of oneself needed to control the aforesaid conditions. So eliminating everything alien to success and developing the parts of yourself that you need to control the aforesaid conditions, the aforesaid conditions being who you are, what you are, and why you are. This is basically saying, don't look where you don't want to go. If we can eliminate everything that is alien to where we say we want to go, then we will feed no bad targeting data into our system, and we will only continue to drive toward where it is that we set out to go. If we then continue as human beings to develop those parts of ourself, and to develop the strength in those parts of ourself that are very much necessary in order to not only avoid um, those things that are alien to success, because that's a constant battle. I'm sure as all of you know, with our own lesser self, we're constantly battling laziness, backsliding, um, you know, addictions, compulsions, and all the rest of this kind of stuff. So it's not that we can just, okay, I've alienated everything, or I'm sorry, I've eliminated everything alien to my success, I'm done. No, it's a, it's a constant bombardment of obstacle. It's, it's everyday obstacles, oftentimes arising from within ourselves through our own resistance to our higher self, our lower self digging its heels in as our higher self tries to drag us forward. Sometimes that can be very difficult, you know, and, and relapsing into the ways that we were living before we targeted ourselves towards this higher goal. So we have to constantly develop those aspects of ourself that are going to be able to control those baser desires, those baser wants. 
So we have to develop the will. We have to develop our discipline of what we put inside our minds. We have to discipline our time and, and our habits. All of these things are necessary to go into carrying out and discharging what is our true will, our essentially our self-decided destiny. The idea uh, that Crowley puts forth about this, the, the theoretical possibility to cause in any object any change, he says that the proper kind and degree of force in the proper manner through the proper medium to the proper object can bring about any kind of change. Another idea that I love. He's basically saying, look, nothing is impossible. We just have to know what the proper kind and degree of force is in the right manner, you know, applying the correct technique through the proper medium to the proper object. You know, thinking of jujitsu in this regard, it's very easy to understand this concept. And I think, you know, guys like John Danaher would probably love that quote. We have to be able to know what kind of force and how much force, you know, say we're trying to sweep someone. Okay. Well, the force is going to be going in the correct direction and we need to use this much of it in the correct manner. So we need to apply the right technique through the proper medium. We need to know which technique is, is suited for the situation that we find ourselves in to the proper object. In other words, I can't just apply the force to the leg if it's the hand that's posting out. I have to collapse you know, this pillar or that pillar. And looking at this as a as an explanation for anything in life, if you say, oh man, I'm in this insurmountable situation. Well, it may not be an insurmountable situation. It's a changeable situation. You just need to know what kind and degree of force in the proper manner through the proper medium to the proper object. It's like, what what is it that needs to be changed that's gonna change all the other aspects? Which is another powerful idea when we're just trying to get things done in our day. Sometimes we'll write down a list and there will be 50 things on there. But if we can identify three of those things to do that eliminate the need to do the other 47, those are the ones that we should be focusing on the most. And we should be trying to apply the right degree of force to those things first, because if we can topple them, then the entire structure falls uh, and, and we don't have to worry about the rest of it. So another idea that I like is he, he says that Magic is the science of understanding oneself and one's conditions. The art is applying that understanding in action. Another thing that I think is absolutely beautiful, where he's talking about this concept of magic, not as, I think that all of us have this understanding of magic because the word is so loaded. And, and surely there are better words for it and, and people use all kinds of words for it today, but almost any you know, guru or, or self-help person or whatever is repeating absolutely things that, that Crowley has written before, but because of the context he places it in, because he was very much interested in the ideas of psychodrama and all the rest of this kind of stuff. But what Crowley was doing with his magic, quote unquote, was creating a psychodrama and creating connections and using, you know, neuro-linguistic programming and all the rest of this kind of stuff to affect changes in himself that changed the ways that he saw the world uh, and, and thereby changed the individual that he was interacting with the world. This idea that, the, that it's the science of understanding, perfectly understanding oneself and one's conditions, even just that half of it takes a great deal of honesty, takes a great deal of, of self-critique, 
and the ability to clearly evaluate who we are really and what we actually want. I think a lot of people will lie to themselves about what they really want because they will say something noble or that sounds good and it might not be what they want. And you have to dig deeper. One of my uh, former mentors used to always say, look, when, when I was studying under him, he said, do not be sidetracked by the easy kill. When we're looking at ideas and we're looking at goals and, and setting targets, but also looking and evaluating ourselves or looking at and evaluating any idea, we have the tendency to, to, <laughs> to have like this premature ejaculation of, of idea where we, we want the reward so fast that we're willing to just get there really quick. And, and then we have this premature enlightenment you know, where, oh, in one day I figured it out, but this is like the Dunning-Kruger effect. You, you don't know shit until you know that you don't know shit. And if you think you know, you probably don't know shit. <laughs> and so, you know, not getting sidetracked by the easy kill is the real way to, to apply the science of understanding yourself and your conditions. You have to constantly evaluate that. And then secondly, the art form of it is applying that understanding in action. I would just mention John Danaher. Uh, for those of you who don't, who don't know, John Danaher is a, a really famous uh, coach in the jiu-jitsu world and, and just has a really high-level way of being able to articulate concepts in general, but especially grappling concepts. And he was talking on a podcast the other day about how jiu-jitsu at its core is the science and art of, you know, basically controlling another human being's body and, and all the rest of this kind of stuff. And he he was very eloquent in the way he articulated, and I won't try to to match him word for word, but he was basically saying that it's, he basically repeated what I just said, the, the Crowley quote about applying force in the correct manner, in the correct way to, to dominate an opponent. And that's just the basics. But the art aspect of it, what makes jiu-jitsu interesting is the way that we have the freedom to express ourselves individually within jiu-jitsu by choosing which weapons we will use. Um, there are thousands and thousands of just chokes in jiu-jitsu, and we can never really learn them all. So we get to express our version of the art form of jiu-jitsu by deciding these are the weapons that I'm going to choose to hone. Uh, this is the style that I'm going to take on, and it's what I love about jiu-jitsu. It's a very old-style kung fu movie. You know, you're like, will my... Will my iron tiger defeat your drunken monkey or whatever? It's, it's, it's very individual. And that art is the beautiful part. And with what Crowley's talking about here, the idea of the, the science is just understanding. But the art is being able to apply that understanding in action. And that's the tricky bit, isn't it? <laughs> understanding our compulsions is certainly one thing and definitely the first step. Understanding our, our shortcomings and our weaknesses and, and all the things that we need to know about ourselves to get somewhere, to get to the top of that mountain. We say, okay, man, I've figured it all out and I've charted the course. I've drawn the map. Yes, but now you have to walk it. And this is where most people will quail and will say, oh, man, this is going to be a really, really long trip. I remember with my buddy Sam when we first charted out the first transcontinental motorcycle trip and we're sitting there and we kind of had an idea sketched in of where we wanted to go and you're looking at it and you see you're like holy shit this is eight or nine thousand miles and you start figuring out how long that's going to be and how many nights of camping that is and you know how many hours through the desert and all the rest of this kind of stuff and you start to go holy shit this is not going to be easy 
And there's a part there sometimes that goes, oh, maybe we just scrap the whole fucking thing. But you don't scrap the whole thing. You execute and you understand that that old cliche is a beautiful statement. You know, a journey of 10,000 miles begins with the first step. You just start, you just start going and then you just don't stop. Um, that's, that's kind of like, in, in my opinion, the, the simplified secret to life, you know, put your finger on the map, pick where you want to go, start going there and then just don't stop no matter what. Um, you'll get pretty far just with that kind of cussedness. He says that magic is any willed action leading to intended change. And I think that there is there is something about the idea of ritualizing our actions that, that appeals to man and will always appeal to man. And that lends a certain weight to what we do when we do things the same way many times over and over it begins to set patterns for us, as I've talked about before in the geometry episodes of this podcast, but it also starts to lend a weight and a meaning and a value and a texture to our lives. We begin to to write a story with the things that we do uh, in a specific way, consistently the same way many times. And all of us are trying to answer these questions. Who am I? What am I? Why am I? And it's not the worst thing to have a ritualized approach to this. And this was an idea that these people chose to call magic. And I think that this is one of the reasons why Crowley is is sort of near to my heart. Because he's not talking about a kind of magic like, you know, what we call sympathetic magic. Often seen in, in folk traditions where I make something happen in a small way. And it represents something and it chains it to something that will happen in a large way. In other words, maybe I take a fishbowl and I build something inside the fishbowl that looks like the village where I live. And then I pour water into that area in order to affect change in the cosmos. I don't believe in that kind of magic. I don't believe in the idea that I can make a red light turn green with my mind or that I can wink at something and, and change a green plant to a red plant. I, I, I think those are flights of fancy. And I think that within the esoteric world and within the occult community, so-called, I believe are mostly people with no leverage and no agency in the world and not a lot of real willpower to change that who have engaged in flights of fantasy and escapism into a world where they can imagine that they have some sort of power rather than developing a real and articulated structure to gain leverage not only over themselves, but then over the world around them through a consistent and extremely disciplined practice of applying the will and applying force in the correct way and degree through the proper medium to the proper object. And so I have a generalized disdain for the occult world in general, but I still believe that there are a lot of interesting ideas. And let's take a look at a few of them now before we get too far into this and, and we go over on time, but some of the popular ideas in, in ceremonial or ritual magic, we can look at in a different way if we choose to. You know, we can look at the idea of, of there's a common practice that's, that's called banishing where the, the ritual space is essentially cleansed. Um, you know, forces of, of obstacle are cleansed from that. And we can take this idea and say, well, all we're doing is eliminating forces and objects and obstacles that produce these challenges or these things in our way of our desired work. We, we clean out the mind. We identify issues. We rid ourselves of distractions. 
Um, these things can be seen in that light. These things are, are effectively internal banishing rituals where, or, or external where we say, look, if I have a drug habit, the best way to avoid using that drug, uh, well, maybe the best way is to no longer feel the desire for that drug at all. But sometimes we need to banish that drug from our life completely first. And then oftentimes we need to banish the people that use that drug from our life completely. And then we can begin to work on banishing the desire for that drug from our life completely. The same with any distraction. If I can't get any work done because I'm always trying to, you know, for, for you know, whatever it is, video games or, or this or that or, or people messaging you all the time. All I have to do for that is I, I can just turn my shit off or I can throw it away. I can throw my fucking phone out the window and uh, stomp on it a thousand times as my alerts keep coming in. Whatever it is, I can banish that and I can remove that obstacle in order to perform the work at hand. In the, in the magical context, this is done in a variety of different ways to prepare the area for the work at hand. But if we look at our lives as a ritual and we look at our existence as this sort of ceremonial practice area, our working area, then these ideas begin to make sense in a very practical kind of way. Um, oftentimes magicians who perform ceremonial work would undergo different kinds of purification. They would wash themselves. Um, they would wear specific clothing. They would use specific incense and all the rest of this to prepare the area or to do the work that they were planning to do. Ultimately, this relates to the idea of leading a clean lifestyle, um, to, to, to going into what my brother calls comp mode, uh, which is competition mode, where you eliminate distractions and obstacles. Certainly, you perform your banishing rituals, but you also undergo rites of purification. You, you do specific things, you live in specific ways, you change your diet when you're, when you're getting ready for a competition. Um, you, are, you maybe purify your body of, of alcohol or, or nicotine or, or anything like this that is going to stand in the way of you and performing this, this great act of magic, this important act of bringing your will to bear on the world around you. So we perform these purification rites. Um, all these things affect the senses. You know, I know guys who wear lucky shorts or lucky gloves when they go out for a fight or people who, who write with a specific, like, I mean, I write with a specific kind of pen uh, when I'm setting my day out because I like it. it. It lends it a ritualized sort of significance. And I use that pen and I know how that pen feels on the kind of paper that I like. And I've been using the same kind of pen on the same kind of notebook for a really long time. And I like the consistency there. So these things become ritual tools, just like the dagger or the chalice or the pentacle or whatever. We use specific things in our lives and we give them a certain kind of importance, whether that's our weightlifting belt, um, our chalk bag, uh, you know, our, our boxing shoes or, or whatever it is. We, we tend to do this or we have a competition gi or whatever. We create things, we set them aside from normal usage in order to use them for these great acts of magic, these great acts of bringing our will to bear on the world. The idea of the invocation where, where one calls in the spirits or, or, or you know, brings the, brings the spirits to, visu to visible uh, appearance in the summoning circle, you know, all these old school ceremonial ideas of magic, we can use these by by exalting the mind. Crowley says the mind must be exalted until it loses consciousness of self. And the idea there being that the magician or the individual or you and I 
are identifying themselves with the deity being invoked. You are, you are effectively then using positive self-talk, if you want to bring it down to the very mundane, by saying, what I am invoking, I use prayer in, in my everyday. I use, I use mantra, and these are invocations. They are bringing specific properties into myself by bringing them into focus and by setting my targeting system toward them and saying, I am this, I am this, I will be this, I am becoming this, and I use these often because I am feeding, like we talked about before with psychocybernetics, I am feeding my targeting system correct imagery, correct data for where I want it to go. These are invocations, just like these old ceremonial magicians are invoking deities, they're invoking the deity into themselves. They are becoming the deity. And they're becoming the deity through repeating these mantras and by bringing those qualities that they desire from the deity into themselves in order to emulate that God. What I've called in, in past articles and in past podcasts, cultivating God energy. Um, I believe that this is done through the recitation of mantra and keeping one's geometry correct through a variety of different practices. The invocation is also about devotion to the deity which if we are thinking of ourselves as the deity and, and especially our future selves, what we're trying to become, we're giving up what is not devotion to that. We are dedicating ourselves to what is devotion to that. You know, we're calling forth special attention to these desired aspects of ourselves that we want to have. We're using ritual drama in a way by, by obtaining that identity via sympathy, um, basically to see one's life as a ritual act or a retelling of a myth. We're laying down something heavy there. We're creating a narrative for ourselves. So there are all these ideas, you know, even divination, you know, tarot cards or, or anything like that. It's, it's deep meditation for a result. That's the way I see divination. I, I use tarot cards personally, but I don't use tarot cards like a Ouija board. I don't believe that the cards themselves have power to tell me what will occur in my life. I believe that they are very powerful symbols in many ways just like the runes that that are absolutely laden and packed with a great deal of symbolism and i use them to tell myself stories about myself and to link ideas together that i might not have seen or linked together on my own and it leads me down pathways of deep thought about myself and my my current condition and my current surroundings, the science of understanding those things so that I can better perform the art of using that understanding in action. I believe that almost all divination used properly is simply deep meditation with a desired result. We are thinking deeply about a specific thing and we're using these tools, tarot or anything like that, in order to jumpstart us down these pathways of thought. They are valuable tools. They're laden with symbolism and man is a creature of symbolism. Ultimately, the reason I believe that, that we can learn something from all this is because I believe that just like our goals in our everyday life, I believe it is important for man to map out his spiritual universe. I believe it's important for man to create a framework in order to organize his practice. I believe it is important for man to maintain a record in other words, journaling, scientific data recording of what we are attempting to do, what is functioning for us, what is not functioning. And 
I believe that this creates sort of magical formula for us, coded information that we are then able to use. And these things are all very much magical practices. The idea of, of maintaining a, a, our own personal record of our workings and all the rest of this kind of stuff. Mapping out our spiritual universe when we look at the Kabbalah tree of life or anything. All these things are... They are not simple psychological tools because they are larger than that. They create not just awareness, but they create and help us create meaning. They help us create a narrative. They help us understand what story it is that we are trying to live. And at the end of the day, what they do is they create a weight. They create a mythic aspect to our lives so that we can set our finger on the map and underneath our finger is the absolute top of the mountain and we can begin to know that it is not just a physical journey but it is a metaphysical journey as well and that we must utilize proper techniques proper force and the proper mapping in order to get to the top of that mountain guys i hope you enjoyed this one if you have any questions or anything you'd like me to talk about further i hope you feel free to just go ahead and reach out to me and uh, if you want to discuss any of this stuff, I'm always open for that. If you uh, would like to support, you can go to the Anchor homepage for the podcast and come on as a supporter for one, five or ten bucks a month. I greatly appreciate it. I hope all of you are having a very powerful weekend. And I hope all of you are ritualizing every action needed to get to the top of your own mountain. Have a good one.